You know, just recently I was reminded of just how much authority was placed in my hands when I was just a teenager. Now, the church that I was discipled in, where I came from, where I was, I was formed, was a place where young people were given opportunities to serve. And when I was the ripe old age and seasoned veteran at 16 years old, I was given my own ministry. It was called a bus route. Uh, and what our church did is we had all of these old school buses that we had bought, and we would take those bus routes into neighborhoods, and I would recruit people to ride the bus to church. And I was in charge of this entire route, and there was someone much older who would drive the bus, but he, he was following my guidance and direction. So at the 16 years old, I, I'm, I'm leading this. I have, this authority has been placed in my hands. It's been entrusted uh, to me. And that culture permeated the congregation. Uh, it, was, it was this atmosphere of giving people the opportunity to serve, to make a difference, to have an impact. And I'm convinced it's one of the reasons that I'm in ministry today, because I was given those opportunities uh, to learn. Because that culture permeated the congregation, um, when I got a job working for a guy, a side job working for a guy in the congregation uh, in his tile company, it was, it was really similar. He would give me a, a job to do, he would give me a task, and then he would go off and do something else, and then he'd come back and, and check on me. And so here I'm entrusted to complete this task, to do this work, and I don't really know a whole lot about tile work. But he's entrusted me to do this part, and he's going to come back, and he's going to check on what I'm doing, he's going to correct where needed. And there were multiple times that Brian was his name, and, and you'd be working, and Brian's shadow would appear over you, and you would know he's about to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? I heard that so many times. And I would say, well, I thought I was laying out this tile. And he'd go, that's not what you're doing right now. Because in my mind, there was this picture of the work that needed to be done, but it wasn't quite accurate. And he would coach, he would train, and I would get this picture of what needed to actually happen. This happened not only in tile work, but it happened in the ministry work that I would do as well. There were so many times that it would come to me, I would realize this is not going like I had thought it would. This is not working out like I had pictured, like I had planned. The same is happening today. 18 years into ministering here, regularly I'm like, this is not going exactly how I thought it would. It's not working out like I had planned. Now, that picture in my head, it was important. So I had some place to start, something to point towards. But if we don't have the right picture in our minds, we'll build the wrong structure. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives the disciples what we refer to as the Great Commission. It's where we get our mission. It's where the disciples received their Mission And Jesus delivers it at this moment in Matthew 28 because he's already spent three and a half years with the disciples. They've been walking with him, talking with him, spending time with him. They've heard all of these messages that he's delivered. They have witnessed his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And he's about to ascend into heaven. It's this moment that he gives them this mission. And it's at this moment he gives them this mission because all before this, their picture of what it was that God wanted to do was off. If you read the Gospels, you'll see that the disciples did not get it. They spent the majority of Jesus' ministry thinking of an earthly kingdom that he would establish. 
thinking of palaces and government, of militaries, of authority. They would come to him and they would ask to be second in the command, to be the vice president, if you will, once Jesus came into power. They're asking this because they don't quite understand what Jesus is up to. And throughout the Gospels, you see that Jesus and the disciples are on different tracks. They're headed to different destinations. They've got a different picture or vision in their mind about what Jesus is all about. And even now, as Jesus has gone through all of that, he spent all of this time with them. He's been crucified for their sins. He's been offered up as the payment so that we can be forgiven and experience God's grace. He's resurrected from the dead and shown that he has come to conquer death, not political opponents. He's demonstrated that this is not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual and heavenly kingdom. In this moment, when the disciples are the most ready to hear this command and this mission, they're still not quite ready. Because if we read this interaction in the book of Acts, it tells us that right before Jesus gives these words that we're about to read, that Acts 1 and 6 says, When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you now at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Look at your passage that you have in front of you in Matthew 28. We'll start reading in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. What are those next three words? But some doubted. Some doubted. These, these are Jesus' 11 apostles that remain after Judas has betrayed. These are the people that were in the upper room. They have seen Jesus' resurrected body on multiple occasions. They've watched him do miracles, but in this moment, they still had some doubts. They still had some confusion. The disciples were still imperfect. And they still needed to clarify the vision further. And they still needed to have their faith solidified. But the time had come for Jesus to deliver this mission, no matter where they were at. You see, Jesus doesn't wait for the disciples to be perfect to deliver the Great Commission, because if he had waited for the disciples to be perfect, he never would have delivered the Great Commission. They would spend the rest of their lives being perfected. If my church that I grew up in, where I was discipled, if they had waited until I was ready to give me opportunities to serve and to do ministry... I never would have had the opportunity because I never would have been perfected. I never would have been ready. So Jesus delivers this commandment to them. And a clear vision is so important because when we have a clear vision, we can fulfill the correct mission. And it's important for us to paint a clear picture. And that's what we tried to do last Sunday when we talked about our vision. If you missed that message, I hope you'll go back and listen to it. But some of the clarity of the mission only comes by participating in the mission. You see, the Christian life is a life of faith. And so... God doesn't lay it all out for us. He doesn't say, hey, Daniel, here's the plan for the next 40 years. He says, Daniel, here's what you need to do today. 
Here's what I'm calling you to in this moment. And as much as I would love it if God would just lay out the whole plan, that's not how it works. He doesn't do that with the disciples. He gives them what their mission is to do, what they're to do that day, even though they're still not quite clear on what all the future will hold. And listen, this is so important for us to get a hold of, because even with the right picture, we'll still make mistakes, right? How many of you have ever built a piece of furniture? How did that go? Not great, I'm going to guess, right? Even though you knew what it was supposed to look like, and even though you had directions written in seven different languages, none of them English, apparently, it doesn't come out like you were hoping. You have these pieces left over, and you tell your wife, yeah, they just throw extras in there in case you lose some, right? Even when you have a clear vision of what the end product is supposed to look like, you make mistakes. A vision of what it is that God is calling us to, a vision of what our church is to be, is important. But we can't allow an imperfection or a lack of clarity or a little bit of ambiguity about what it looks like five years from now or a year from now even to stop us from doing what God has called us to do today, right now. We won't be able to understand it all or see it all And we'll make mistakes even with the information that we do have, like the disciples are doing here. But also, God makes it clear he's not going to reveal it all. Look at the way that Jesus responds to them. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In 17, while some are doubting, Jesus speaks to them and says, All authority has been given to me. He says, Listen, I know that you have questions and I know that you have doubts, but God has given me all authority and here's what we're going to do. Here's the mission. So the disciples aren't what we would consider ready. They have doubts. They misunderstand the vision. But God does consider them ready. And he gives them the great commission, which we read in verses 18 to 20. Look at that with me. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or to the end of the world. Jesus is saying here, I'm here, I'm with you every day, no matter where you go, no matter how long it goes, I'm with you. I'm here. My brother works for the Newport News uh, shipyard. He started as a machinist, actual making physical pieces of machinery, equipment, uh, a, a part that would replace what had broken. And then he completed training and, and, and schooling and now works as an engineer and a designer at the Newport News Shipyard where these large naval vessels are built. And since my brother has worked at the shipyard, they've completed some of these naval ships, including the, the Gerald Ford, which is an aircraft carrier. We've got a picture I'm going to show you of my, my brother and my dad uh, in front of the Gerald Ford, this aircraft carrier that he 
helped work on several years ago. And when they complete this ship, they have what's called a commissioning ceremony. It's this moment that they're commissioning the ship to go out and to start its mission. And at this moment, this huge aircraft carrier that thousands of people have worked on for years, designing and fabricating and repairing and making changes, when it is commissioned, no one is in doubt about what its purpose is. Everyone's clear on the reason for that ship. Now, even though everyone's clear on the purpose of that ship, there is no one who understands everything totally about that ship. There are going to be people who work on that ship for six months at a time while they're out at sea constantly training and drilling and, and doing uh, scenarios and war games to be prepared if they have to go into battle or to defend themselves. But they'll all have a role that they're called to play and they won't even understand how the rest of the ship works or what everyone else does. But they'll be clear on the mission. We don't have to know it all to be on God's mission. We don't have to understand it all. The disciples would spend the rest of their lives figuring out how to lead the church. As they faced obstacles and challenges, as the church grew and suddenly they needed other, uh, 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 other strategies, they would need to constantly make changes depending on what it was that they were facing at that time. They didn't understand everything about tomorrow, but they were crystal clear on what it was that God was calling them to do that day, in that moment. I don't know everything about what God wants to do at Faith Church. I don't know how we'll handle the challenges of the next year, or three, or ten, or thirty. But I do know what the mission is. You see, the message of Jesus Christ is sealed in his blood. And the mission is etched in stone. But the methods, the strategies, that's all sketched out in pencil. And it may be that what we do in the coming year looks different than the way we've ministered and served this year. But that doesn't mean that the mission has changed or that the message has changed. Those don't change. The mission remains the same. The vision is where we're headed. The mission is what we do. The vision is the picture in our mind. The mission is the nuts and the bolts. The vision is where we're heading. The mission is what we're doing Vision is tomorrow. Mission is today. Our vision is to be the church that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 16, like we looked at last week. But our mission is what Jesus spoke of here in Matthew 28. At Faith Church, we say our mission is to build the church. Our friends and neighbors will join and our children will lead. And that comes from the Great Commission. It's lifted right out of the Great Commission. Because our friends and neighbors are a part of the nations that Jesus tells us to go and to reach. Our children are part of the nations that Jesus has called us to go and reach. We're attempting to reach our friends and neighbors because we're attempting to do what Jesus called all of his disciples to do in Matthew 28. If you've grown up in church, the Great Commission might be really familiar to you because I grew up in church. I actually memorized the Great Commission uh, when I was just a boy. 
If you attend church for a long period of time, you'll probably hear it preached on. And it might be that this morning you have heard the Great Commission. You have heard people talk about it. And you're like, I know what we're supposed to do. I've heard this all before. I'm praying that today you see it in, with fresh eyes. That it doesn't just become stale like some corporate jargon written on a wall, but we see it as the message, the mission given to us from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll see it with fresh eyes because when Jesus made this statement, when he gave this commissioning at this commissioning ceremony and his church was launched out to go and to do ministry and to proclaim the gospel, what Jesus said was incredibly radical. You see, Jesus is establishing a new religion, a new church. Now, we know that it's the fulfillment, the continuation, the completion of the Old Testament scriptures. And it isn't that this is something brand new that happens when Jesus is born and dies on a cross and is resurrected. But rather, it's something that's been foretold of for years and years. But in this moment, Jesus is establishing a new covenant that will launch the church. The church that has been expanding and growing for 2,000 years. And every other religion in the world has pretty much organized around three principles. There's the place, there's the priest, and there's the practices. Every other religion in the world organizes around there's some holy site, some holy mountain, some holy location that people make pilgrimages to and they come there. And when they get there, there's a priest, someone who's special, someone who can act as this intermediary between them and God because God is so great and they're not. And this priest will, will help them make this connection to, to God. And then there's the, the practices. And most of the practices are centered around helping you get good enough to be in God's presence or earn his love or his respect or his favor. Doing enough good, doing enough rituals so that God looks upon you and likes you. But what Jesus is saying here is he's not setting up a church or a religion where everyone will come. But rather what Jesus is setting up here is a church where the church will go. His first words are, go ye therefore. Go. See, the Great Commission turns the whole idea of religion on its head. Instead of us having some holy location or holy place where we've got to get people to come to, we go out to them. We take the truth to the people. Instead of getting them to come to the place, the first command of this commission is to go to the people. So this idea, come to the holy place, is turned on its head. And also this idea of elite priests is turned upside down as well. Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his, his disciples. And specifically, we're told it's the 11 apostles. It's the, the, the remaining 11 out of the 12 that Jesus chose to be in kind of his inner circle. But if we read the book of Acts, we know that when they uh, co come together in the upper room to spend time in prayer while they wait for the church to launch, it's 120 men and women. So Jesus is speaking directly to these 11, but also 120 men and women who are his disciples, who are his followers. And nothing is remarkable about any of them. 
They're normal people. They're ordinary. They're not elite religious leaders. They haven't gone to years of seminary. They're not impressive. They're not notable. They're so ordinary, in fact, in Acts chapter 4, when some people are reacting to them starting to proclaim the message of the gospel. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished. They were astonished that they could proclaim a message so boldly, so powerfully, while they were uneducated and common. Normal people. They weren't who you would consider to be the priest. They weren't who you would consider to be. That is the guy who can connect me to God. But verse 13 doesn't stop there. Because verse 13 says they perceived that they were uneducated and common men. And they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These were people that had walked with Jesus. It isn't that we have incredibly special people. Now, I know that your mama told you your whole life that you're special. But what's truly powerful about God's church is not the talent, it's not the impressiveness of the people, it's that God works and the lives of ordinary, everyday people and does his extraordinary work, not because we're extraordinary, but because he is. Because he works in us in powerful ways. And this is is so vital that we get a hold of this because it can be tempting to try to make ourselves look cool or hip or impressive because then that'll, that'll attract people. Listen, if people are looking for cool or hip or impressive, they are not coming to 303 North 5th Street in Chandler, Indiana. Like, this pastor not showing up on the front of any magazine, all right? I'm even wearing cooler shoes than I normally would, but it's not cool enough for our world, right? That is not, is what, that's not what's going to convert people. It's not what's going to make a difference in people's lives. It is Jesus. It's Him. Perhaps many of you are familiar with with Billy Graham. Billy Graham would have these incredible crusades. Billy Graham would come into a city or town. There would be thousands of people that would come and listen to him preach in a a, a stadium, a football stadium, a baseball stadium. You know what the Billy Graham crusade figured out? They figured out for one of their crusades to be effective... Yes, they would, they would publicize that they were going to do this crusade, and they would advertise it on the, the TV and radio, and it would be in the newspaper, and people would hear about it. But they figured out that what really made it effective when people would come is if weeks, months before they were going to be there for that crusade, when they came early on to line up the contracts with that stadium, with that place, they would then they would go to all of the churches in the air, and they would ask for their help. And they would ask for people who would drive buses and people who would work the door and people who would sing in the choir. And they knew, they basically kind of boiled it down to this mathematical statistic 
that for however many seats there were in the stadium, they needed to recruit 25% of that number to help and serve. Because every one of those normal, ordinary, common people who were willing to serve and help with the, the, the accomplishment of this crusade, there would be three other people that would show up. People that they had invited, people maybe that they hadn't invited. Because as impressive as Billy Graham was, and as famous as he was, the most famous preacher uh, of a generation, it was the connections that people had to ordinary, everyday, common people that would get them to the crusade, and it was those connections that would be vital even after the Billy Graham crusade left town. God works through ordinary, everyday people. So it's not a place that we come to it's a calling for us to go. It's not a, a place with special people who suddenly have this unique access. It's everyday common people who've experienced Jesus' goodness. And then the practices. Now, the church has practices, and Jesus had established some practices with them, like communion, and told them how important it was for them to be loving and kind and to serve others and to have uh, the practice of forgiveness and, and to be a people who aren't, they don't hold grudges, but rather they're, they're reconciled. But the key practice here in this passage of Scripture is not something that you do to make yourself worthy before God. Je Jesus doesn't even say anything in this passage about the songs they're supposed to sing. Or what the order of service is supposed to look like? What is it that he is concerned with? He's concerned with going and telling the nations. Baptizing them into a family. And teaching them all that he has commanded them. You see, the key practice of the Great Commission, the key practice of the church, is not to make us worthy because Jesus already did that part. We don't have to work on making you worthy this morning because Jesus did that for you. I don't need to lead you through rituals and ceremonies so that you are acceptable in God's sight because Jesus accomplished that on the cross on your behalf. And because of Jesus' sacrifice for you, you are in good standing before God. As Pastor Dustin mentioned, we have been given this wonderful gift of grace that Jesus paid for with his life. So I don't need to lead you in practices so that you become worthy. Jesus has done that. So the main mission, the main purpose of our church is to reach out to those who do not yet belong to it. To reach our friends and our neighbors so that they will come to be a part of our church. Jesus breaks down this key practice into three parts. He says, first of all, go you therefore and teach all nations. And Jesus uses the word teach twice in this passage. That's in our English language, but in the original, it's two different words. The first one being a word that means evangelism. It's telling people a message they have not yet heard. It's telling people the good news that they do not know. And, and, and hear me, okay? I know that we live 
in what some people refer to as the Bible Belt. I've noticed that everywhere I go in the country, people say they're in the Bible Belt. I know we live in a town where there are more churches than there are car lots and dollar generals put together. I know that we live in an area where there's a lot of people who are familiar with the idea and the name of Jesus. But hear me. Our community might know of Jesus, but they do not know the gospel. They know Jesus was a good person. They know that they need to be a better person, but they do not understand that Jesus has already accomplished for them on the cross what they could never accomplish for themselves. They need to know the gospel. And there are people all around us who call themselves Christians because their parents called themselves Christians or their grandparents called themselves Christians or because they attend church or occasionally or they go on Easter or because they vote a certain way, but they don't know the message of Jesus Christ, that he has offered the once and for all payment for their sins. And that's the gospel that they need to know, that they need to hear. And friend, we are quickly entering a time where even in, in a culture that is, is nominally and commonly referring to itself as Christian, we're coming quickly into a culture that doesn't even do that and is completely unaware of anything that refers to God. And I want to give you a story that I feel like demonstrates that. Because for many of us who were blessed to grow up in the church, that, that, that is foreign to us. Uh, I'm going to ask the, the team to show a slide up on the screen. This is just a, a, a verse graphic that we had on our uh, Facebook page and Instagram page this past week. And it's a passage of Scripture. And at the bottom, we have John 1.5, which is referring to where you find it in the Bible. And that lets us know what book of the Bible, it's the Gospel of John, the chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5. And when we're teaching children about this, we, we tell them that it's like the verse of that, it's like the address of that verse, so you know where to find it in the Bible. So this morning, when I tell you to turn to Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read verses 18 and 20, you can find your way and follow along. Just recently, uh, Chris Hodges, who's this pastor, he's in Birmingham, Alabama. He, he tells a story that he's preaching, and, and at his church, they often show the, the, the verses of Scripture up on the screen, and so they're doing that as they go through the service, and after the service, this girl comes up to him. She's in her 20s. She's come to Birmingham to be uh, in college, I think, and she says, hey, I just really love being here. It's my first time ever to be at church. She said, I had a question, though. She goes, you were showing quotes on the screen, but you were only showing, like, the person's first name. Like, it was John and Matthew. Like, who are these guys? I'd like to read more of their stuff. He said, oh, well, those are, those are people who, who wrote the books of the Bible. And so we refer to him as John, because that's the book he wrote. And she goes, okay. She goes, and then there were these numbers. And she said, and there was a dot, dot. And what is the dot, dot? And so he explained to her, well, that's the colon between the chapter and the verse. She goes, that is so smart. Did you come up with that? And he said, no, that, that's something that we've had in the Bible for a long, long time, just so we can find a way the same passage of scripture and he walked away from that conversation and realized there are people all around us that, that they are familiar with churches in the area and they might have heard of Jesus but the things that we take for granted about the Bible and about the gospel and about Jesus they don't know them they haven't had an opportunity to know them 
And, and I hope that we have a church here where someone feels so very welcome that they could come up to me after the service and ask questions like that. I hope that we have a church where people, no matter where they are on the spectrum of what they do and don't know, they feel welcome to come and learn. Because there are people all around us who don't know Jesus. They might know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. They might know there's something missing in their life. They might have a sense that maybe church is where they could find it, or God is who they're... They're needing, but they don't know how Jesus has made it possible for them to be forgiven of their sins and restored and redeemed. And maybe that you're here today and you know that there's something missing in your heart and your life. Friend, the thing that you need to hear most is that Jesus has made it possible for you to be forgiven of everything that's broken in you and be welcomed into the family of as a brother, as a sister. He says, go therefore and teach all nations. Go, not just out the front door, go everywhere and teach all nations, baptizing them. Baptism, baptism has become this thing in our culture and, and especially in, in church culture where it's, it's celebrated and people will post pictures of their baptism on Facebook and Instagram. And I think that is awesome. But I think an unintended consequence of that is we've kind of lost what it meant for these people. Because for these people, when they were baptized, it meant that they would probably be ostracized from their family, from their friends, from their job, from their village, from their community, because they were publicly identifying with Jesus. This, this church, this religion that was completely different from what they had grown up in, what their ancestors had, had followed. For them, it was a death to their old life to live a new life. For many of them, it was walking away from family and friends and being accepted into a family called the church, a place where they belonged, where they were a member, a place where they were held accountable. And listen, when we say in our mission statement that we are building the church, our friends and neighbors will join, we're not talking about this location. We're not talking about this facility. We're not talking about this, these bricks and mortar and, and, and two-by-fours and drywall. We're not talking about the lights or the electrical or the sound system. We're not talking about any of that stuff. We're talking about the group of people. The word church literally means assembly. It's this gathering. And if this building burns down tonight... And we gather in an open field. We are still faith church. It's this group of people. And when you're baptized, you're not baptized to a building. You're baptized into a family, into a group of people. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them, bringing them into the family, plugging them into this family, where there they can then teach them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. Two words for teach. The first is evangelism. It means to tell people the news they have not yet heard. The second is to teach them line by line, precept upon precept. Kids started back to school today, or this week rather. They started back to school this week, and they moved up a grade if they were ready. If they had learned all of the elements that they needed to know in first grade, they would move on to second grade. But if over the summer they forgot everything they learned in kindergarten and first grade, it's going to be really hard for them to understand the concepts in second grade because they build upon each other. 
And what we're called to do is not only tell the nations that Jesus has died so that they can be forgiven of their sins and to baptize them into a family where they're loved and they're known and they belong and they're held accountable, but then to teach them line by line how to add to their faith virtue and to virtue patience and to patience goodness, to goodness love, line by line, brick by brick, to build them This week, our community groups are launching. The week after that, our Wednesday evening Bible study is launching. And these are places where people can learn line by line the truth of scriptures. These are places where we are walking together and the work of Jesus in our hearts and lives is modeled for one another so that that discipleship can take place. So that we become more and more like Jesus. This is our mission. This is what we do. Can we show that picture of the aircraft carrier again? You know my, my brother designs on Navy ships? It's not the guns. It's not the missile bays. It's not the system that catapults jets off of the aircraft carrier or to catch them. My brother designs and works on the trash receptacles. The, the crest or the emblem or the logo for his team is, a, is literally a burning dumpster. It's a dumpster fire. Because what they work on is how all of the trash on the ship is incinerated. Because when you've got a floating city of more people than live in the city limits of Chandler on a floating vessel. There's a lot of trash that has to be dealt with. And when we think of an aircraft carrier, we think of what happens on the deck. We think of the things that we see on Top Gun. But most of the work that happens on an aircraft carrier happens below deck. It happens below the surface. And when you think of church, you might think of what happens right here. You might think of the team that leads us in worship. You might think of Pastor Daniel preaching a sermon. But most of the work doesn't happen up here on deck. It happens below deck. It happens in the conversations and the discipleship groups, the Bible studies, the conversations, the modeling, the mentoring, the day by day. Showing people how to know all that Jesus has commanded. It's not as visible. It's not as glamorous. They probably aren't going to make any movies about it. But it's the important work. And it's how the mission moves forward. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.